If you would open your Bibles to Revelation, the 22nd chapter, the last chapter of the last book of the Bible. Chapter 22 of Revelation. And he showed me a pure river of water of life, clear as crystal, proceeding out of the throne of God and of the Lamb. In the midst of the street of it, and on either side of the river, was there the tree of life, which bare twelve manner of fruits, and yielded her fruit every month. And the leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. And there shall be no more curse, but the throne of God and of the Lamb shall be in it, and his servants shall serve him. And they shall see his face, and his name shall be in their foreheads. And there shall be no night there, and they need no candle, neither light of the sun. For the Lord God giveth them light, and they shall reign forever and ever. And he said unto me, These sayings are faithful and true. And the Lord God of the holy prophets sent his angel to show unto his servants the things which must shortly be done. Behold, I come quickly. Blessed is he that keepeth the sayings of the prophecy of this book. And I, John, saw these things and heard them. And when I had heard and seen, I fell down to worship before the feet of the angel, which showed me these things. Then said he unto me, See thou do it not, for I am thy fellow servant, and of thy brethren the prophets, and of them which keep the sayings of this book. Worship God. And he saith unto me, Seal not the sayings of the prophecy of this book, for the time is at hand. He that is unjust, let him be unjust still. And he which is filthy, let him be filthy still. And he that is righteous, let him be righteous still. And he that is holy, let him be holy still. And behold, I come quickly, and my reward is with me, to give every man according as his work shall be. I am Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end, the first and the last. Blessed are they that do his commandments, that they may have right to the tree of life, and may enter in through the gates into the city. For without are dogs and sorcerers and whoremongers and murderers and idolaters and whosoever loveth and maketh a lie. I, Jesus, have sent mine angel to testify unto you these things in the churches. I am the root and the offspring of David and the bright and morning star. And the spirit and the bride say, Come. And let him that heareth say, Come. And let him that is athirst come. And whosoever will, let him take the water of life freely. For I testify unto every man that heareth the words of the prophecy of this book, if any man shall add unto these things, God shall add unto him the plagues that are written in this book. And if any man shall take away from the words of the book of this prophecy, God shall take away his part out of the book of life, and out of the holy city, and from the things which are written in this book. He which testifieth these things saith, Surely I come quickly. Amen. Even so, come, Lord Jesus. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Well, today we are, as we go through this book of Revelation, we're at chapter 22, and we're, we finished uh, looking last week at verse 7, so today we're going to take a look at verse 8 and 9, the Lord willing. Verses 8 and 9, And I, John, saw these things and heard them, and when I had heard and seen, I fell down to worship before the feet of the angel which showed me these things. Then saith he unto me, See thou do it not, for I am thy fellow servant, and of thy brethren the prophets, and of them which keep the sayings of this book. 
worship God. Now turn, if you would, back to Revelation, the 19th chapter. And let's look at verse 10. And this also is John. And I fell at his feet to worship him. This is the angel. And he said unto me, See thou do it not. I am thy fellow servant and of thy brethren that have the testimony of Jesus. Worship God. For the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. Now that's another time. It's not the same event here. It's another time. So it's the second time that John tries to worship an angel and is rebuked. So you have to ask, what's John's problem? These are really shocking verses. John the Apostle admits that he tried to worship a creature, an angel. And up to this time, throughout the book of Revelation, John has seen many angels. He's seen beasts. He's seen saints. He's seen cherubs. He's seen all sorts of strange-looking creatures. Yet, with the exception of this passage in Revelation 19, up to now, he hasn't worshipped any of them. If you remember back in chapter 1, when Christ appeared to him, he did fall at his feet, he said, as if dead, but that wasn't worship, he just fainted from sheer terror. So why now is he doing this? We're not told. Uh, We can guess at a reason. Maybe it was because he thought this angel was Christ. Maybe he was overwhelmed by all that he'd seen and and simply forgot himself. Now, whatever the reason, though, one thing is very clear. Despite the fact that John was a beloved apostle chosen by Christ, he was still just a sinful human being, as we all are. And he didn't learn from the rebuke he got in chapter 19, obviously. Just like we often commit on, uh, uh, we often commit of sinning the same sin over and over again. So twice he let himself be overwhelmed by what he saw, and he forgot the commandment of of God to worship God alone. Uh, Deuteronomy six, and again in chapter ten, thou shalt worship the Lord thy God, and Him only shalt thou serve. Uh, and in Matthew four, Jesus quoted this when being tempted by Satan. If you'll remember, Satan said, well, if you fall down and worship me, I'll give you the kingdoms of the world. And what did Jesus say? Thou shalt worship the Lord thy God, and him only shalt thou serve. Three times Jesus tempted, was tempted by Satan, and three times Jesus responded, and every time he quoted the Old Testament. The two verses about John worshiping a creature, which is the angel in this case, angels are creatures of God, just like we are. They're created beings. We're not angels. They're not human beings, but they are creatures. They're created just like a lion. It's not a human being, but it's a creature of God. The two verses about John worshiping a creature, this angel, teaches us a lot of things, and one of them is a powerful argument against people who say, well, the Bible is just a lot of stories, a lot of fables. It's not really all true, uh, and it's written by men who wanted to promote their religion. You hear that a lot. Well, think about it. If you were going to write a fable, would you admit or would you write down that you committed one of the worst sins, not once but twice? No, you wouldn't say that. You'd make yourself look really good in in this fake book that you're writing. Uh, Well, we know that this is not a fake book. Uh, John was not making this up. 
Christ had told him to report everything, so that's what he did, even though it made him look terrible. Uh, it made him look like the man he was, a great man, yet a, a sinful man. Can you think of anybody else in the Bible who wrote about his sinfulness? Well, Daniel did. Daniel admitted that he was weak and didn't understand the visions, and the Lord had to say, well, to an angel, hey, go and explain this to him. You know, he's not real bright, apparently. That's kind of my aside there, but, you know, he, he doesn't understand this, so you've got to open his eyes. Uh, and he admits that. And Moses, the Lord told Moses, okay, people want water. What you need to do is you see that rock over there. You just go over there in front of all the people and speak to it, and it will produce water. And everybody knows that, that, that water can't come out of a rock, but Moses, in the name of the Lord, is to speak to it, and the Lord, people would glorify the Lord. Well, what did Moses do? He took his staff and he hit the rock a couple of times. He says, I command you to put forth water, as though it was Moses himself being the, the great miracle worker. And he was punished very much for, for, by God for that. He was not allowed to go to the promised land that he'd been waiting for 40 years, over 40 years, wandering in this awful desert to get to. The Lord said, well, sorry, you disobeyed me. And you might think, well, so what? I mean, he hit the rocks, talked to the rock. What's, why would such a terrible punishment? Because he tried to take the credit for himself instead of doing what the Lord said, that the glory would have gone to the Lord people would say, oh, isn't Moses a great miracle worker? Moses admits that. He wrote down, I did this. Moses admitted it. And if he were writing a fake book, a fable, a fiction book, just to promote his own religion, he would have never written that down because it makes him look awful. And he got an awful punishment. You're not going to find people admitting their sinfulness in writing in other quote called religious books in the Quran of Islam, you don't find Muhammad talking about how he's a sinful man and how he committed all these different sins. So going back to what John did here, he fell to the temptation to worship a creature instead of the creator. Now this is a sin of idolatry. When we worship anything but God, it's idolatry. Like, you know, it comes from, you know, the word idol. It was permitted by, uh, to John by the Lord for a reason. And all sins are overturned by God to his glory. It teaches us, among other things, not to worship angels or any other creature. Uh, a sin that many uh, today commit. In Colossians 2.18 even talks about this. Paul writes, Let no one cheat you of your reward, taking light in false humility and worship of angels. That was a big deal in the ancient world. People, these people who even call themselves Christians worshipped angels. Uh, and in our society today, how many times do you see the, the famous pictures of Michelangelo or of, of uh, angels? And uh, you see the little statues of angels and people have them in their homes and all this kind of stuff. Um, if, you know, if, in, if they're an object of it's okay to have a statue of something, but if it's an, if it's an object of worship, or if it's a, it's a, it's a, if it's a, if it's something that you uh, 
think has some sort of di divinity to it, or if it's a representation of a you know God uh, that you give any religious value to, uh, then it's sinful. And the angel is very sharp in his rebuke of John. He says, "Stop! Basically, stop! Don't don't do that. Get up! Don't fall on your knees in front of me." Uh, Deuteronomy 13 says, "If the best friend you have in the world, if your brother, your whoever, closest person you have, tells you to worship another god, don't do it and reject it." Uh, Thomas Brightman, in his book *A Revelation of the Apocalypse*, which is 1644, in fact, he has another insight into this verse. He says, ever since Christ has taken our nature, which is, that is, ever since Christ took, took the form of a man, or became a man, upon him, the angels are afraid to see it, that is, they're afraid to see man be prostrate before them. The angels, uh, in other words, the angels hold men in very high regard because Christ became a man. They're horrified that man, who is also made in the image of God, and man who will judge angels, in 1 Corinthians 6, 3, know ye not that we shall judge angels? They're horrified that a man would fall down to worship them. They hold man in very high regard, especially since Christ became a man. Uh, and they're especially horrified that an apostle would fall down to, uh, to worship them. The angel says, see thou do it not, says to John, don't, don't worship me. For I am thy fellow servant, and of thy brethren the prophets, and of them which keep the saying of this book, worship God. So it says, even an angel is a servant of God. And he says, fellow servant, just like you are. I'm an angel of God, you're an angel. I'm, excuse me, I'm a servant of God, you're a servant of God. And he says that as a servant of God, he's also a servant of God's people, the brethren that have the testimony of Jesus in uh, of thy brethren the prophets, or in uh, chapter 19 that have the testimony of Jesus. Uh, now, James uh, Glasgow on this testimony of Jesus, which is the parallel passage here uh, in his book Exposition of the Apocalypse, says the words that have the testimony of Jesus shows that the saints, angels, or messengers in the heaven as well as men in the flesh are intent observers of the words of prophecy, which is the Bible, and that the moral principles and gospel doctrines taught in them are true and eternal and more faithfully kept by the celestials, the term he used, God's word is more faithfully kept by angels than we keep it. Uh, a great and most essential doctrine on true religion here taught is that God alone is worthy of religious worship and that Jesus, by receiving the worship that celestial messengers shrunk from, shows that he has the unique character of God and man in one person forever. Jesus accepted worship. He didn't rebuke people who worshipped him. He was God. If, if Jesus wasn't God or didn't, didn't know that he was God, he would not have accepted worship. Now, idolaters worship almost anything under the sun, including the sun, by the way. Uh, the Puritan pastor George Swinnick writes, Idolatry is a clear proof that all men believe in a deity. Otherwise, they would never worship not only the sun, but dead men, cats, dogs, horses, and anything rather than nothing. 
Though there be, and this is still Swinnock, saith a learned author, nations without kings, without laws, without clothes, yet there are none without a god. Nature is in some respect a friend to superstition, though an enemy to atheism. It would give God some worship, nature that is, but it must be in its own way. Atheism denies that there is a deity. Superstition undermines the authority of God. The atheist would have no God. The superstitious would be his own God. His will, not God's word, is the rule of his worship. In this gulf, many a soul has been swallowed up. The atheist turns to the left hand, the superstitious to the right hand, but he who will keep his feet from evil must turn to neither. And he's referring to Proverbs 4, which is my son, beginning in verse 20, my son, attend to my words, incline thine ear unto my sayings, let them not depart from thine eyes, keep them in the midst of thine heart, for they are life unto those that find them, and health to all their flesh. Keep the heart with all diligence, for out of it are the issues of life. Put away from thee a froward mouth, and perverse lips put far from thee. Let thine eyes look right on, and let thine eyelids look straight before thee. Ponder the path of thy feet, and let all thy ways be established. Turn not to the right hand, nor to the left. Remove thy foot from evil. Putting this together, I also was reminded of Psalm 135, which was part, part of our call to worship this morning. But later on, it says, talking about idols, the idols of the heathen are silver and gold, the work of men's hands. They have mouths, but they speak not. Eyes have they, but they see not. They have ears, but they hear not. Neither is there any breath in their mouths. They that make them are like unto them. So is everyone that trusts in them. So those who trust in idols, the work of men's hands, statues have mouths, but they don't speak. They have eyes, but they don't see. They have ears, they don't hear. They don't have any breath in their mouths. And the people that make them and everybody that trusts in them are just like that. They can't see. They can't hear. They are spiritually dead. Brightman asks a, a very interesting question of all idolaters. If angels fear to see our nature lie prostrate before them, now that it has been assumed by Christ, why do you throw down your nature before stones and painted images? If the angels will not have themselves to be worshipped by the minister of Christ, then at least be afraid and ashamed to play the wicked wretches any longer as you do, or at least acknowledge yourselves to be ministers of the devil and antichrist, rather as ye are, than of Christ as you would be thought and called. And he's, of course, there he's directing it to papists, those of the Roman Catholic faith. All the worship which pagans and heathens perform to gods, you know, idols of stone and all that, statues and things, is directed to the devil. Now, I didn't make that up. In Deuteronomy 32, in verse 16, they provoke, provoked the Lord, him, to jealousy with foreign gods, with abominations. They provoked him to anger. Verse 17, they sacrificed to demons, not to God. 
See, even people who think they're sacrificing to God, if they don't do it according to his word, they're sacrificing to demons. Sometimes they don't even know it. You don't have to know it to do it. 1 Corinthians 10.20, the things with the Gentiles sacrifice, they sacrifice to demons and not to God. 1 Corinthians 10.20. And the devil is therefore, in, in 2 Corinthians 4, is called the god of this age, or the god of this world, but age is probably better. See, man is made to worship. The desire to worship a higher power is wired into him. Uh, and we, we know this from Romans 1, in verse 19, because that which may be known of God is manifest in them, for God had showed it to them. For the invisible things of him from the creation of the world are clearly seen being understood by the things that are made, even as eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. In other words, everybody knows there's a God. They don't know about Jesus Christ. They don't know what the Bible says. But everybody, no matter where you go, in their heart, God has put that, 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 there's, that there's a higher power. They can look at the stars. They can look at creation and know that they didn't make them. They didn't put the stars up there. Somebody did. So they know there's a God. Every, everybody does. Those who deny it are lying because in their heart, they don't, they don't want to confront it. The reason they don't want to believe it is because they don't want to be responsible. They want to do what they want, whatever they feel like doing, and they don't want there to be a God to tell them not to do it or it's, it's going to send them to hell. So they say, well, I don't believe in that. Well, they do. They really do. But they're running from it. So, you know, you find natives or aborigines or whatever worshiping something, and no matter where you go. Uh, what happened, though, we were created to worship God, the true God. But when Adam and Eve sinned in the Garden of Eden, they put a virus in our, in our spirits, if you want to call it that. Uh, and it's, it, instead of worshiping God, our creator, our sinful nature want, wants to take that desire to worship God and worships crea created things like dead people and animals and statues and bones and, and pieces of bread and cups of wine and plants and clothes and etc. Now, let's go on and look at what the angel says. Don't do it. I am thy fellow servant and of thy brethren the prophets. Um, the angel calls himself a servant of God, as we've said, as is John, as is the prophets. He says, don't do it. He refuses worship. Therefore, we know no creature, we know from that, of course, many other places, is to be worshipped. Only God is to be worshipped. There's a lesson for the angels here as well. They're not to be desired. They're not to desire to be worshipped. Remember the angel named Lucifer? Lucifer means light bearer. And what he desired, well, Lucifer was a great angel in heaven. And he desired to be the most high. He was jealous of God. He wanted to be God. He wanted to be worshipped. And he was thrown out of heaven. Christ tells us, I saw Satan falling from heaven. His name was changed to Satan uh, and became no longer Lucifer. But I'd say they, they, his name was changed to Satan, which means the deceiver. He's not the light bearer anymore. He's the bearer of darkness. He's the deceiver. Angels are engaged in the service of God just as we are. They serve the same 
Lord Jesus Christ. We and the angels had the same mission, which is to glorify God. We're united with the angels uh, in that sense. There are a lot more lessons here. I'll just go over some quickly. Not only are we to worship God and serve God only, never his creatures, including human beings or Satan or demons or angels or any other heavenly creature. Another lesson is we must never allow ourselves to faint in our duties or to appear lifeless in our Christian walk. Isn't that what John did? He just fell over, basically and appeared lifeless in his Christian walk in an in a, in a imagery sense. We're constantly to watch our hearts because our heart is de- desperately wicked, Jeremiah 17. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? Our fallen hearts, our minds, that is, heart means mind usually in Scripture, are crafty and subtle and waiting and wanting to draw us into sin before we are even aware of it. We have to take extreme care in our worship. Another lesson to learn from this, regulating it by the written word of God, the Bible, only doing in worship what God commands. We must beg the Lord to put a check on our feelings, because John's feelings got out of control, and he forgot that this was an angel that shouldn't be worshiping. So we have to put a, ask the Lord to put a check on our feelings, never allowing them to overcome us and pervert our worship. Isn't that what a lot of churches do today? All oh, the feelings, it feels so good. You know? So they do things and, that aren't in Scripture. If we want to feel really good, do worship God according to Scripture. Uh, Albert Barnes writes, Nothing is more carefully guarded in the Bible than the purity and simplicity of worship. Nothing is more sternly rebuked than idolatry. Nothing is more contrary to the divine law than rendering in any way that homage to a creature which belongs of right to the creator. It was necessary to guard even John, the beloved disciple, on that subject. How much more needful, therefore, is it to guard the church at large and, I would add, your own heart from the dangers to which it is liable? I began the sermon with a question. I'll end it with a question, the same question. This time I'll also provide a possible answer. I said this is the second time that John tries to worship an angel and is rebuked. What is John's problem? Well, his problem is your problem, and it's my problem. It's every person's problem. It's what I said before, Romans 1, it says that that. Because of the fall, we are tempted to change the truth of God into a lie and worship and serve the creature more than the creator, who is blessed forever. Amen. That's the verse. If the Apostle John, who was ordained by the Lord Jesus Christ himself, who knew him as well or better than any any other man, Christ knew John as well or better than any other man. He's called the the Apostle whom Jesus loved, the disciple whom Jesus loved. Doesn't mean he didn't love the others, but he did love John. He wrote, John wrote four books of the Bible under, under the direct inspiration of the Holy Spirit. He was renowned for his strong faith. 
And in, in his old age, he was the most beloved and honored man in the entire Christian church. We're told he lived longer than any of the other apostles. He wrote this book of Revelation. He was a very old man, uh, very honored and beloved. If this great apostle could fall into such a great sin, not once but at least twice that we know of, and the second time following shortly after the first, what chance do we have to keep from falling into the same sins and other grievous sins as well? And the answer is that we don't have a chance of not doing that. We have no chance at all. If we're trying to keep from sinning through our own willpower, we have no chance. We cannot will ourselves not to sin. We can't will ourselves not to sin. We can't avoid sin any more than we can avoid thinking or breathing. 1 John 1.8 says, If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. It goes on in verse 10, If we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar, the Lord, and his word is not in us. See, everybody sins, Christians included. The more faith the Lord gives you, the more you're aware of your sin. Aware of how much you need Christ. Somebody who says they don't sin is a liar, as Scripture says, and in fact, Scripture says that they're deceiving themselves and they're not believers at all. What did it say? In 1 John 1.10, if we say that we've not sinned, we make him a liar and his word isn't in us. So is there no hope for us because... We are under such a compulsion to sin. Well, you know, there's one, there's only hope. And the warm heart of the Apostle John immediately rushes to reassure us in verse 9, in 1 John 1, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Confession of sin. Is that all? No, it's not all. Not every verse in the Bible is a complete testimony to every truth of scripture. The Holy Spirit elsewhere explains that your confession of your sins to God must be accompanied by your faith in Christ. Only then will the Father forgive your sins and save you. God doesn't hear the prayers of those who reject his son Jesus Christ. That's not politically correct to say, but it is true. Confession to God has to be accompanied by your true belief that Christ died to pay the penalty of your sins to keep you from hell And he rose from the grave and he lives right now, a living promise that you too will live forever. 1 Corinthians 15, but every man in his own order, Christ the first, first fruits, for Christ the first, afterwards they that are Christ's at his coming. That's us. Christ was first, he rose from the dead to show us what was in store for us, that we'll rise from the dead and live with him forever. Romans 10.9 says, if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart, see this is where confession comes together with belief. It takes from 1 John uh, and adds the faith to it. If you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. That's what scripture says. For with the heart one believes unto righteousness And with the mouth, confession is made unto salvation. For the scripture says, whoever believes on him will not be put to shame. Is that you? 
that describe you? I sincerely hope so. Let's pray. Indeed, Father, we we do pray that everyone in the, in the sound of my voice this morning, both here and uh, on the recording, will con- believe and confess the Lord Jesus Christ. Believe in their hearts that God has raised him from the dead. And, and if we believe in our hearts, we have to confess it. But Father, we thank thee for such great salvation. Make it so in each one of us, Father. Lord, we uh, have several prayer requests this morning. We uh, remember Catherine, uh, who's suffering from vertigo, Father, and uh, we ask, Lord, that uh, uh, this would uh, be a a temporary minor problem, and, Father, uh, remove it from her and uh, restore her to full health. Uh, Lord, we remember... uh, Bev Evans, uh, father, and her pregnancy, and uh, she's having some um, complications from uh, uh, her back. Back is bothering her father, and Lord, we uh, uh, ask uh, thy blessings upon her, and uh, father, a strong, healthy baby, uh, raised according to thy will, and be a great, great, grow up to be a great servant of thee, father. Father, we uh, remember Linda uh, Cowan and her gallbladder, Father, and uh, be with her, strengthen her faith in this, Father. Uh, We continue to uh, pray for the Schmitz and give them travel mercies, Lord. Uh, For Dave Crane, uh, Father, we uh, Father, we ask that uh, Thou would uh, Thou would give him spiritual heart surgery and uh, take it out of its heart of stone and replace it with a heart of flesh belief in the Lord Jesus Christ as his Savior and, uh, Father we ask thy blessings upon our families Father knit us together in love bring us together in daily family devotions Let us uh, take our scripture memory verse every week seriously uh, and uh, memorize that. And store up, the scripture says, store up thy word in in our hearts. So we are not only uh, something we're commanded to do, Father. And so please, uh, please make make it so in our lives, Father. Protect us as we, uh, as we spend the balance of the Lord's day doing the Lord's work, meditating upon upon thy blessings to us, Father. And, uh, Father, be with us this week. Protect us, Father. In Jesus' name we pray.